so, uh, Dr. Charlson, you've worked with both uh, cardiovascular patients and cancer patients. Yes, and, I have. And uh, studying the effects of expectancy, mood, uh, uh, positive expectations. Well, I th- we've studied in cardiovascular disease patients, we've looked at a simple positive affect self-affirmation intervention and whether it gives people tools necessary to assist them in making and sustaining behavior change. So the positive affect uh, intervention is a simple statement, you know, asking people to uh, take a moment when they first get up in the morning to think about something that makes them feel good and to do that, to think about that and other things that make them feel good throughout the day. So it's a fairly fairly straightforward intervention, um, and we've shown that it actually does increase um, positive mood states. The self-affirmation intervention uh, asked people to think about a time when they tackled something that was difficult, and but were they were very proud of their accomplishments when they hit a barrier to, to behavior change, and the kinds of things that we looked at in terms of behavior changes were increasing physical activity and increasing medication adherence. And in patients with chronic cardiovascular disease, those simple interventions uh, resulted in patients walking miles more a week. And so the the positive affect self-affirmation intervention uh, was an important predictor of the ability to make and sustain lifestyle changes which are important to prevent recurrence in cardiovascular disease patients. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, what's interesting is, uh, so the very definite result there, very visible, and uh, uh, maybe a comment that affirmation is not, self-affirmation is not what in some everyday language is called affirmation, which is uh, uh, stating a positive statement which may not have any basis on reality, like, oh, I can accomplish anything. But this is something in which the person is encouraged to look at either something that truly uh, feels good for them or something that they truly accomplish they feel good about. Right. And they feel proud about um, and that they can draw on, yes, I've overcome obstacles successfully in the past. It, it helps people address negative stereotype threat. Claude Steele um, has done a lot of work about negative expectations. If you have negative expectations for your performance in a test, it's not helpful to you. But if you're able to draw on previous successes, um, it can be extremely helpful. Yeah, so so we're talking about uh, shifting the focus that uh, the uh, bias for people would be to pay attention to the negative expectation, but this is an exercise in which they're helped to shift focus towards something uh, where the database was actually uh, a positive experience. Yeah, something that they'd already done, and they graduated from college, they whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was done, uh, you know, just simply telling people to do it, and they were doing it on their own uh, without any help or uh, being watched. Doing it, it simply uh, they were following that. We gave them a little uh, sticker magnet for the refrigerator, 
Um, but yes, and people reported using the, the positive affect uh, strategy often. And I think what, although I have no evidence about it, I think it does two things. First, in order to, to take a moment to think about something that makes you feel good, you have to be in the moment. You can't be worrying in the back of your mind about whatever is going on. So you have to be present. And I think thinking about something that makes you feel good provides a mood boost. So it helps to reset positive mood. Yeah, yeah. Gets you out of the loop uh, and actually more specifically in that uh, positive mood. Yes. And uh, for, for to observe these positive effects, for how long did people do that? You know, how uh, was it over a period of how long that uh, that that? Followed them every two months for a year. Okay. So, and you, did you notice ongoing uh, improvement, or did that move slow and plateau, or fast and plateau, or people people adopted it and began to you know, um, I, I mean, they sustained. You know, like I said, miles more uh, a week in terms of primarily lifestyle physical activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, can we, from that, uh, either from these studies or from other studies, infer that uh, that kind of a positive attitude can help heal? Well, I think it helps, what we can say is that it helps people make and sustain behavior changes. Mm-hmm. And behavior change is very important in terms of preventing, um, you know, future progression of cardiovascular disease. Right. So so it's not a direct link. Uh, uh, it's not the positive then itself improves cardiovascular, the chances of cardiovascular disease. But uh, the change in behavior is then going to do that. So, short of having uh, that behavior change, um, is there any indication that the positive attitude itself uh, will make people more likely to uh, to heal or to do better? I mean, there's a huge literature on what the impact of positive mood is, and there's also a huge literature on what the impact of negative mood is. I mean, and they're not, it's not an inverse relationship, so... Um, you know, positive, the positive mood helps buffer against the adverse effects of stress. So mm-hmm. you're more likely to sustain behavior change when you're hit with some interval event, which is troubling uh, or, you know, life hassle. Um, you're more likely to be able to, to, to handle it without reverting to your previous lifestyle or behaviors. And I think, you know, there's a reciprocal relationship, for example, between increasing physical activity and positive mood. The more physical activity, the more positive mood, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So so it's introducing a, a virtuous cycle where there could be a vicious cycle. A positive cycle. Positive mood. Yeah. Increasing physical activity, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is happening in the context of people uh, who are cardiovascular or cancer patients. In other words, uh, people where the threat is serious enough that it would understandably create a stress 
uh, we're not just talking about everyday thing that people could uh, actually be uh, put into a downward spiral because of the stress. I think um, what happens is that if, if people, patients with cardiovascular disease, if they don't make behavior and lifestyle changes, have a, a you know a recurrence rate at two years of thirty percent and need additional procedures. You know, so it it makes a big difference if they're able to to make and sustain lifestyle change. We know from clinical trial data that that people who are able to make and sustain lifestyle changes do better in terms of their outcomes. So, but one of the problems is that there's a widespread belief that after you have, go into the hospital and you have an angioplasty, for example, that, you know, you're, you're back to normal. But the reality is, is that the underlying atherosclerosis is a systemic illness, which can be ameliorated or the progression reduced with the behavior change, but if you if you don't do it, you're likely to have trouble in the future. Yeah, you're back to square one. You're back to you're not changing the conditions that brought you there in the first place. Right. Right. And um, and so uh, so it's about uh, again in here facing the reality of the threat uh, without being so overwhelmed by the threat that you're paralyzed by it. And um, and the hypothesis is that uh, looking at the positive gives you uh, uh, puts you back in touch with the experience that you can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, any sense of the what about maybe uh, the people who are not doing that, who in the study are not doing it, or people who are, uh, you know, any hypothesis about um, uh, what makes people, what makes it difficult for some people to follow that approach? I mean, I think um, in in general, if, um, you know, if there are life events that happen, that, that can throw people, but again, with the positive aspect, you do better in terms of your ability to buffer against the effect of those in terms of behavior change, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And it's the kind of intervention that, that works in cardiovascular patients because they're not going to... It has to be quick, you know, and they're not going to... Cancer patients will participate in, you know, groups for four or ten sessions, but cardiovascular patients who, who really think that they're pretty much okay won't. So this intervention lends itself to that group of people because it's a, it's a relative, it's quick to teach, it's very straightforward, and, you know, people begin to see some benefits of it. You see the effects right away. You see how your outlook is during the day, so then it becomes a self-reinforcing process. Right. And so what about uh, cancer patients? Um, uh, you know, the, is, um, how does it work for them to do that? The, the, the behavior uh, is not as, the behavior change does not have as dramatic an effect as for a cardiovascular patient, does it? 
In cancer patients? Yeah, exercising, for instance, or doing something of that nature. So in, in cancer, in breast cancer patients, which we've done the studies in, the, the problem is that um, a significant percentage of women who have completed treatment for breast cancer have a post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, so mm-hmm. intrusion, avoidance, and um, that can be have a huge negative impact on quality of life. You know, they're afraid of recurrence, and that fear is not irrational because, you know, there's an ongoing threat of recurrence up to 20 years and people who've been treated. not huge, but it's real. Mm-hmm. But for people who spend their lives fearful that the next time they go to the doctor that they're going to be found to have recurrent cancer, you know, living with that kind of fear is hard. And if you can teach people basic tools like the guided meditation that Dr. Luizzo has developed, um, it, it's made a huge impact in terms of their quality of life. And they will participate in a, in a longer intervention because the, for them it is, in fact, the, ex, the sense of existential threat that makes them want to, to deal with tools to, so that they can, you know, kind of deal with the reality of it but not have it as a huge roadblock in their life and affecting every day. Right, right. So, so facing that it's a, it's a reality, not uh, uh, ignoring it, not pretending it's not there, but at the same time not being overwhelmed by it. Uh, and, um, and so um, there's a, a sense of, you know, willingness to have a practice that allows people to, to live with that. Yes. And so you talk about it's a guided meditation. So what what's it like? What's it consistent? Is that something then that uh, uh, requires being in a group? Uh, for yeah. Having, yeah? It's taught in a group format, and it, the initial four weeks are really uh, based on meditative skills, and the other weeks are, are teach. Are so the first four weeks concentrate on basic meditation, and then the, the next that's taught as block. And then uh, the second block of six weeks deals with specific realities in terms of, you know, life is impermanent for all of us, right? And mm-hmm. if, you, if you accept that, then it gives you a way to frame the current experience, right? Yep. To, to live in, in the present rather than in, you know, the worry mode of, you know, that, that, that makes fear an everyday reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, you know, that, that the first block is, uh, is a basic meditation, and the second one, um, you know, that sense of life is impermanent. Life is impermanent in the form of... Um, uh, what lectures or uh, how do how does it how people absorb that? So I mean there are there are different skills that are are taught in terms of um, that, but one is to to reframe the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know there are two reactions in, in cancer patients. One, you can have this experience, and it can ultimately have a positive impact on your life or you can have this experience and live with fear. And so you have choices to make, and 
you know, there are skill-building things along that way. And, you know, a lot of people experience that, you know, once they've completed treatment, their family expects them to be back to their old self, but but they're struggling with who that self is in the mm. light of the previous. So there are a series of, it's, it's a developed, manualized program for breast cancer survivors that's, uh, that, and there are papers in the literature that describe the different kinds of sessions that, that yeah. Dr. has written. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, it's not in a way just about, uh, oh, uh, this is a bump in the road and, uh, here's how to cope with it. But, you know, this bump in the road is actually something that, uh, uh, creates a profound change in the sense of how I perceive myself. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so, uh, the guided meditation, uh, is it at this stage or is it a later stage? No, it's, I mean, it's, we, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Oh, you had mentioned that for cancer patients, it includes guided meditation. Uh, so is a, is guided meditation... So it, starts, it starts with teaching basic meditative skills. Okay. Um, okay. Reading and, and then it, and it goes on. Mm-hmm. And so, once after these, uh, you know, these uh, couple of months of, of, of training, uh, are people still doing this in groups, or uh, are they doing it on their own? Uh, some, it's a, been a combination of both. Some, some of the groups of women have continued to meet, and others, you know, have done it individually. Not everybody in a group would continue to meet, but some have continued to meet, mm-hmm. and others pursue it individually. And are there any indications of uh, whether being in a group uh, works better? Well, we don't know. We haven't taught it individually, so we know it has a major impact on the experience of having post-traumatic stress symptoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've shown the intervention results in a, in a very significant change in, in the symptoms of avoidance, et cetera, intrusion. Um, but we haven't delivered it as an individual intervention. Right. I'm sure it has the same effect, but it's less um, yeah. practical. Yeah. No, I meant, uh, you say after the group, uh, after the, the group meets for these couple of months, uh, some people might continue in a group, whereas some people continue on their own. Uh, so, beyond the, the initial training. Yeah, we haven't followed people. Yeah, okay. So, um, is there something that we might say in conclusion from this, you know? As a, I, think, I, I think, you know, there are some skills that, that people can learn, that people who are dealing with chronic disease and the importance of making and sustaining lifestyle change to, to improve their long-term health. There are some simple skills that they can, they can learn that we've shown can make a big difference in their life experience. Um, and those, those are published in the literature, either under my name or under Dr. Joseph Luiso's name. Um. Great, great. Thank you, Dr. Charlson.
This recording is part of the podcast at relationalimplicit.com. Beyond the, the initial training. Yeah, we haven't followed people. Yeah, okay. So, um, is there something that we might say in conclusion from this, you know, as a... Or, I, think, I, I think, you know, there are some skills that, that people can learn, people who are dealing with chronic disease and the importance of making and sustaining lifestyle change to, to improve their long-term health. There are some simple skills that they can they can learn that we've shown can make a big difference in their life experience. Um, and those, those are published in the literature either under my name or under Dr. Joseph Luiso's name. Um, great, great. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Okay. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.